there, adventurers. This is Brittany North. I am joined today with Robert Forto, and Robert is the owner of Alaska Dog Works, which is a dog training company, and the host and producer, if you've listen to, or I highly encourage you to listen to DogWorks Radio. Robert, thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Brittany, it is my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, so let's dive right into it. Um, I've, I've reached out to some of my clients, and they helped me come up with some questions for you, so I know they're really excited to hear what you have to say. Um, so since my podcast is all about being outdoors with your dogs, going on adventures with your dogs in the outdoors. What do you feel like is the foundational elements of training that all dogs should have before we even think about doing backpacking or camping or paddleboarding or canoeing? Well, first off, I think that you should definitely have the right breed for the sport or Mm -hmm. activity that you're going to be involved in. It's very difficult, for example, to have a chihuahua hike on a 20-mile overnight. Uh, You know, that's a lot of uh, extra effort for for the little dogs. And also, uh, for the really big dogs, you have to worry about overheating and things like that. So definitely... Uh, breed size and confirmation is very important at first. And then, of course, you should think about proper socialization. You don't want to take your dog out on a hike or an activity and they have not been socialized correctly. And, of course, there's all ways to do that. But I highly encourage folks that are getting dogs to start that socialization day one, whether it's a puppy class at the local big box store or working with a trainer like Brittany or myself or something like that, just to get them in and around other dogs. Yeah, perfect. I I totally agree with you. And I think when we get out of winter and we're in those spring and summer months where it's just far warmer outside, I think it was a really great point that you made of being conscientious of the breed that you have and like having the right breed to do whatever activities you're trying to do. I feel like lately I've seen so many people outside, um, you know, with like a double coated dog or an extra large dog. And it's well into the nineties some days down here right now. And, and people are walking dogs in the middle of the day with a uh, strong sunshine. And, and I don't think people always know that, that does, you know, affect the dog and could possibly lead to heat stroke or any other kind of medical condition. So being aware of like the breed that you have and what you're trying to do is is a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so since you're in Alaska and I feel like parts of Alaska, especially the interior, I feel like it's it's like northern Minnesota on steroids. So since you are in Alaska, what would you say are some like safety tips you would give people for going out into the woods, into the wilderness, um, whether it's human tips or tips for dogs too? Uh, That's a great question. I think number one is so many people have the urge to let their dogs off leash Mm. to to run around and explore. And I have come across so many issues with dogs being off leash. Just recently here in Alaska, I I guess it was last summer, 
a dog was off leash and their owner was walking on a relatively urban trail down here in the Anchorage area. And the dog took off. And the next thing you know, uh, the dog ran back to the owner and a bear was following them, following the dog. So not only uh, was it a big issue with the dog, but it was also it also became a very big issue for for the human side of the team as well. And thankfully, it ended in uh, in a happy ending, if you will. But just having that dog on leash will solve a heck of a lot of problems. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but hey, safety is paramount when you're out in the wilderness. I agree, a hundred percent. I feel like in the spring, summer, and fall, that's probably a weekly question that I get: is Hey, Brittany, like, what do I do when I encounter an off-leash dog, or is it okay to have my dog off-leash on the Superior Hiking Trail? Right. No, <laughs> it's not. Um, so yeah, having dogs leashed, you know, it provides liability and safety for you, for the dog, for wildlife around you, and you know, working. In training dogs along the North Shore now, a lot of times I hear people say, well, I don't want my dog to be leashed. Well, if you don't have a reliable recall, I feel like we probably should keep the leash on. But it doesn't have to be a short leash all the time. I actually recommend people using a long line uh, quite a bit, whether it's like a 10-foot one or a 15-foot one. That way your dog can explore a little bit out in front of you um, and, and then you still have that that safety of of being able to control them when you need to. A hundred percent. And there's all sorts of creative ways to be able to do that. And I'm sure you've talked about ski joring and bike joring and that sort of thing on your podcast before. But if you hook up a dog, your dog to some type of harness and bungee cord system to like a bike jaw harness for your uh, human bike jaw harness, you know, where that you're wearing around your waist, mm-hmm. your dog can have a, a, a wide variety of, of freedom with that. And then they can go out and explore. And like you said, you could have them on a 10 foot lead or a 20 foot lead or even a 30 foot lead. If your dog can have that 30 foot radius around you, that is an excellent uh, distance to be able to do a quick recall if something occurs. And remember, it's not always wildlife. It's dogs as well. Yeah. Everybody thinks that their dogs are the best the best trained dogs or the best socialized dogs in the world. But often that is not the case. And there are probably more issues with dog-on-dog encounters than mm-hmm. there are with wildlife, probably 100%. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I I have a lot of clients lately that have been reaching out and they're like, oh, my dog is so overly excited and super friendly and they just want to meet every dog and every person. And I really like to try and make it clear to people that your off-leash dog that is overly excited and approaches dogs and humans with no fear, that can be very dangerous. Um, one of my dogs, that's kind of a fear of mine if an off-leash dog ever rushed us in a scenario like that, she would not hesitate to throw down. <laughs> yeah. um, she would take matters into her own hands. And I mean, she's an Alaskan Malamute, so it's kind of in her DNA a bit to to behave that way. And and I, I think it's nice to be able to let people know, like, hey, not every dog is friendly, and let, let's keep our dog leashed so we can avoid accidents like that. I agree. Yeah. 
And I think, too, it's nice to, even though your dog is, like, super friendly, not every human likes dogs. You know, I have a, actually a couple of coworkers that are terribly afraid of dogs, and that's okay. So just because your dog's friendly doesn't mean we, we want to have your dog in everyone else's business. All right. Um, so we know that you train dogs. We know that you have this awesome, thriving, and successful podcast. Um, but I also want to mention that you have sled dogs, too. So what does that operation look like for you? I have been involved with dog mushing since the early 90s. In fact, I started right up in your neck of the woods, right outside of Duluth, and that's where I really cut my teeth in the dog sledding world. And I remember like it was yesterday, I'd have to go out and run my dogs in the middle of the night because a lot of these trails that I'm sure you're using today are very public use trails, mm -hmm. at least they were back then. So in order to avoid all of that traffic and congestion, I would run in the middle of the night, and then, of course, uh, while everybody else is out and about, uh, I am at home uh, sleeping, if you will. But uh, we moved up to Alaska in 2010 to chase that crazy Iditarod dream. I still have not done that yet, but one of these days I will enter a team to run the elusive Iditarod. We have about 35 dogs at our kennel here. Almost all of them are Alaskan Huskies. And we also teach dog mushing at the two local universities, University of Alaska and Alaska Pacific University. I am honored to say I'm one of the very few professors that still teaches dog mushing across the United States. So it's a very big uh, honor and privilege to do that and introduce people to our passion and our lifestyle, I think, is worth its weight in gold for sure. Uh, we do a lot of expedition type mushing. Do a little bit of racing here and there. We've done sprint races, mid-distance, long-distance, everything over the years. But I truly like introducing people to to our lifestyle. That's where it's really at. Yeah, wow. You you answered two of my next questions, and <laughs> I, I love that. Um, I wanted to know more about how you incorporated your mushing with the universities and I think that's great and I I really feel like more universities would just benefit from doing more uh offering more wilderness like classes because I feel like it's little and little and little nowadays um so kudos to you I love that that's excellent um do you do like tours at all or with the universities or like with the public or anything like that like kennel tours or tours with a team at all uh we do but that's not the focus of our business there's sure. a lot of a lot of people right here in our little neighborhood if you will our, mm -hmm. our sort of neck of the woods that uh that do that and do that very well so we focus more on uh the teaching side of it you know a lot of tours you can go to a tour and jump on a, a dog team or a cart or whatever process they're using and go for a three or four mile run and get the experience. But with a college class, you're not only learning the ins and outs of dog mushing, but you're also learning some leadership skills and some team building activities and all sorts of stuff that you can take away from not only your experience in the class, but also use it in your in your personal life, whether it be in your business or you know, all sorts of things. So we try to incorporate leadership as much as we possibly can, which sets us apart from the, you know, the average tour that so many people are used to. Mm, I love that. And, and I like how you talk about leadership. I feel like 
being around and working with sled dogs, it just gives you this layer of grit that you didn't have before. And I think it directly applies to like leadership and you can take that anywhere in life. Um, I'm also excited to hear that you're still trying to go for the Iditarod. And like, I, I don't think people always know that that is like a huge feat just in and of itself. Oh yeah. You know, not only is it very expensive, probably right. upwards of $20,000 or more just to yep. get to the starting line. It's a tremendous amount of effort. Mm -hmm. And I know you've had other dog mushers on your show and, and, you know, they've, they've attempted that and done very well with it. But in ours, in our process, if you will, it's, it's always there. We're always thinking about it. But I always say that I think the oldest person to ever enter Iditarod was in his, his or her early seventies. So as long as I do it, in that time frame, I'm doing pretty good. I got about 20 years before I make it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, and I think you're right. I think it's 70 something, which is in, uh, amazing in and of itself. So yes. do you feel like there's anything that you've learned from from the mushing world, from working with sled dogs that you try to apply to the dogs that are client dogs that you train or that you try to instill in the the owners at all a hundred percent i tell people all the time that i literally live with a pack of sled dogs and when you have a classroom if you will of 35 dogs to understand body language mm -hmm. and behavior and socialization and cues and all this sort of stuff you can really learn very quickly how dogs interact with each other and i think i've probably learned more from that aspect of dog training than anything else, being able to to pick up on those very minute cues, that little ear twitch or that tail swipe or, you know, the, a little bit of a hackles coming up. Any of those things will allow me to to recognize when a behavior changes and be, then be able to apply that in uh, in a dog training session. Yeah, I, I love hearing that. That That's a common question that I get from clients or even people that just follow me on social media is, you know, how do I get better at at reading dogs' body language? And my answer is, is you every time you have to be around dogs. Like if you're not around dogs, you're just not going to learn it. You have to like fully immerse yourself in dog culture. And I think having 35 sled dogs is the way to do it. Right. And if I can expand on that just a little bit, of yeah. course, everybody doesn't have the ability to to live and breathe uh, with a team of sled dogs. But if you're just starting out as a dog trainer or or in this industry at all, whether it's, you know, just training pet dogs or, or whatever, just spend time around as many dogs as you possibly can get your hands on, whether that's just going to the dog park and hanging out and watching how dogs are interacting, mm -hmm. sign up for classes on your own. Sign up for group classes. Even if you think that you're a very experienced dog trainer, it does not hurt to go to as many group classes as you can possibly go to. That's going to make you a better dog handler. It's going to make you a better dog owner. It's going to make you a better everything. It's just going to teach you what you need to learn about uh, dogs because they speak an entirely different language than we do. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it's really learning a new language and learning a new, you know, human language takes years. And same for dogs, just watching the body language. It doesn't just come to you like 
I asked my mentor, I was working with a difficult dog years and years back, and I asked her, I'm like, what am I supposed to be looking at? Like, what is going on here? And she's like, watch the dog. And at first, I was like, wow, what a crappy answer. <laughs> but I'm like, no, Brittany, be open-minded and just listen. And she was right. Like, all you can do is just watch the dogs. That's all you can do. Like, keep watching, and it'll come. Yep. Um so another question I have for you, uh, and this one comes from one of my clients, um, is do you notice, I know you travel the world quite a bit, and I, I love watching your, your worldly travels. It's so fun. Do you notice uh, Alaska compared to, like, the lower 48 or Alaska compared to the rest of the world. Do you think there's a cultural difference in the dogs or dog ownership? Oh, a hundred percent. When we arrived up here from Denver in 2010, we had a big training center with group classes and, you know, classes going on all the time. People were really excited to do dog training with their dogs. And that's a little bit different up here. Uh, I think for a couple of reasons. Number one is, is there's still a big time uh, outdoor culture that you don't see as well in the city. So right. people think about their dogs a little bit different than they do down in the lower 48. And then secondly, um, they just, they just house their dogs different. And housing means, you know, not necessarily always inside or outside, but just the way that they interact with their dogs. And Brittany, I, I have a, a pretty cool story about when we took a trip to Belize this spring and we were out on a tour with, with a tour guide and, and they, you know, how you talk with the tour guides and they said, so what do you do for a living? And we said, oh, we're dog trainers up in Alaska. And he asked, what do you mean? What is it? What's a dog trainer? <laughs> yeah. And we said, you know, we, you know, we, we train them to do sit down, stay, all of this stuff. And he says, wow, we don't do anything with our dogs. Our dogs are just dogs. They never come in the house. They never do anything other than be dogs. So even though that Belize is very westernized, if you will, um, considering a lot of uh, portions of the world, they treat their dogs as dogs, not necessarily as as members of the family or even companions like we do. And it took a lot of convincing to teach this guy what uh, what dog training was all about because it was just totally foreign to him yeah I actually have a similar story uh, a few years back I had a client in Minneapolis and the family was from the Dominican Republic and they had a, a fairly challenging dog uh, aggression wise and they were like, well, if we were in the Dominican, this dog would not be living in the house, but we're here, and that's what you do here. And it was kind of a culture shock for them, like you're saying, that they just were having a hard time having this this semi-aggressive dog living in their home. Yes, yes. And, and another quick story. A few years ago, we had a, a client right here in Anchorage that adopted a street dog from down in South America somewhere, mm. Colombia or Ecuador or somewhere like that. And it had been a street dog its entire life. It had never been around people. It had never been, of course, around pet dogs per se. It had only been do with, around dogs that were on the streets. And when this lady brought this dog into her home, the dog, like you said, it was a culture shock. Not only had it, was it in the house for the first time, but it had never been on a leash. It had never been yeah. taught 
uh, sit or stand, never really even been fed from uh, from a bowl like we do up here. So all of those things had to be taught to the dog. And the dog was was older at the time. It was three or four or five years old. I don't remember. But it, it's it's truly uh, teaching a dog an entirely new lifestyle that can be difficult sometimes. Yeah, it's almost like you're you're with street dogs. It's almost like you're taking a wolf out of nature and telling them well, you're going to live indoors now. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. Oh gosh, well, Robert, thanks so much for being on the show here. Um, I know that you offer in-person services when it comes to dog training, but you also offer online classes. What kind of online classes do you guys have to offer so that I can send people your way that want your help but maybe aren't in your area and they're open to trying something online? Well, we do it a little bit different than a lot of other online type uh, dog training businesses. We do a lot of classes through Zoom. Uh, so you can meet with us uh, however many sessions you sign up for. But one of the cool things that we do that a lot of people do not do is we have a private Facebook group for all of our clients. We call it the pack. And folks that are clients of ours can join in to our pack. And then that we do pack sessions every Monday and Thursday. So anybody that is part of our quote unquote pack can come on to those Zoom sessions and ask questions. And when you get a group of people together to ask questions, that's where learning really occurs. So if a person says, hey, this week I'm really struggling with my dog jumping on the counter, or this week I'm really struggling with uh, recall at the dog park or whatever, you can ask those questions on those Zoom sessions and then get the answers from whoever's in the session at that same time so we can learn from each other. And I think that's a very important part of dog training is being able to learn from each other. So that's what sets us apart a little bit. But we also, Brittany, offer classes when we're out and about, whether we're traveling from one city to the next, we will offer sessions with clients then so they may be an online client but if we're traveling to minneapolis or omaha or phoenix or whatever we always uh, link it up on our social saying hey we're on the road again this is where we're going to be if you would like to schedule a session to meet with us in person we're going to be on your area in your area on xyz date and we will find more often than not people that we're working with around the country would enjoy meeting up with us and at least hanging out with us. Maybe it's not even for dog training. Maybe they just want to pick our brain a little bit and grab a coffee or a beer or something and, and just talk dogs for a little while. Hmm. I, I love that. I, I don't know of anyone else that actually offers that. I think, I think that's really unique and maybe more people should try and emulate that. Um, I, I think post-COVID life, a lot of us dog trainers do offer online options. And I think some people are still skeptical whether that will help them or not. And it sounds like you're having great success with it. And even myself, I help a lot of people up the North Shore here in Minnesota online. And I've had nothing but success, you know, not to toot my own horn, but Online can actually be a, a really helpful way to help those that maybe don't have a dog trainer near them or a dog trainer that they enjoy near them. 
Yep, I, I agree. It's all about building up routine and and uh, processes with your dog, whether you're doing it in person or on Zoom or in a group class or whatever. Uh, you are ahead of the game if you are doing something with your dog to build a better relationship. And it doesn't always have to be face to face. Like you said, in, in the post-COVID world, things are a little bit different than they were just a couple of years ago. People are, are not venturing out as much as they used to. And they are looking for creative, creative opportunities to do other things with their dogs. And whether it be uh, Zoom or online or meetups or whatever, anything can be successful as long as you're putting in the effort. I agree 100%. So I want to say thank you again for, for being on the show here. How can we best support you and follow you and, and keep track of all the awesome things you're doing in life? Well, I am on social media just about everywhere. Just uh, type in Robert Forto. That's spelled F-O-R-T-O. Our website is alaskadogworks.com. And our podcast that you mentioned at the top, uh, we do every week. We do training tips and interviews and all sorts of stuff there. Dogworksradio.com. You can find that on any podcast player. I know that you've been a guest on our podcast a couple of times, Brittany, and, and I loved having you on and talking dogs. And of course, if you have any questions or comments or show ideas, we would love for, for you to reach out on socials and we will do our best to uh, share what we know. Awesome. I have to say thank you too for being open to just networking with me, to being open to talking with a complete stranger about how to get my podcast off the ground. And I am forever thankful for all the tips and tricks and, and info that you just ever so openly offered to me. So thank you so much for that. And I'd love to have you on the show again in the future. And yeah, I, I, I'm really thankful. <laughs> Well, Brittany, anytime, that's what it's all about, whether it's dog training or podcasting or anything else we do in life. It's all about uh, getting out there and uh, stretching that comfort zone because you do not know what the what the rewards are until you get out there and try it. So I think that uh, you're doing very well with this and congratulations on your new podcast. And I hope that it grows well for you and does very well in your dog training endeavors and uh, you find out that uh, that podcasting is a pretty cool medium to get out there and really share your stories, your relationships. Thank you adventurers for listening to this episode of the North Paws Wilderness. If you have a dog diary story you'd like to be read on air or a suggestion of who to have as a guest, please email northpawspod, that's northpawspod at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media. Until next time, happy trails and tell your dog I said hi.